So I'm going to recap where we come from. Um, we've been in this series for a few weeks now looking at our values at the church. And we've done this before, but um, a few folks have mentioned that we ought to do it again. And so I was like, I think you're right. We should because um, many of you all have never heard much about our values. Maybe you've never even gone to our website and read what they are. And so these values are so important to us because they really guide and impact the way we live our lives. Um, here at the church, the decisions we make, the things that we do, the way that we do things here, it's all really impacted and driven by these values that we hold. And so let me tell you where we've come from, and I'll, we're going to be on the last one this morning. So our first one is that we keep Jesus at the center, most important one. We believe Jesus is the reason that we are here. We believe Jesus is, is ultimately the center and the leader of this church. And so we want to keep Jesus at the center of our lives and also our faith community. We also believe that church is a diverse family, and, you know, families are, are hard and complicated, and diverse families are even harder and complicated, you know, because we all come with different stories. We carry um, all different baggage. We have all different journeys that have brought us to this space, and we believe that that's the way God wants it. And so we're trying to live life together, even as we are different from one another. We also keep it real. We try our best to be honest and authentic and share our whole selves with our church community, we acknowledge when we don't know the answer. We admit when we're wrong. We, uh, we try to do all these things, and we can continue to grow. Our fourth one is that we are comfortable with being uncomfortable, that we understand that like discomfort is not a bad thing, that, that being uncomfortable often is something we have to experience in order to grow, in order to transform, and other to become more like Jesus. Um, last week, I talked about how we're gritty Christ followers, talked about that word grit, uh, which means uh, perseverance and passion for long-term goals. We talked about how we are a little gritty, you know, we're a little rough on the edges as well sometimes, but that we, we really realize in life we've got to be patient, we've got to have that grit, we've got to have that perseverance and have a long-term vision for, for who God is calling us to be. And we've got to continue to, to walk the journey that God has laid out before us even as we face challenges. And so now we're going to talk about uh, our last value, and it is that we are neighborhood-focused. I want to share a story with you, um, and I could share multiple stories that are very similar to this, and I know that you all could probably share your, some of you share stories in your own work about this very thing. I remember we had a neighborhood meeting at our church a few years ago. It was before I was the pastor, so it was quite a few years ago, and this problem that I'm going to talk about has only gotten worse since then. But I remember a woman stood up, our council member was here, and she stood up and she shared at that neighborhood meeting, um, I thought was a heartbreaking story. She said that she had been living in an apartment complex on North Limestone, right down the street, just a few blocks, and a developer had come and bought her entire apartment building and had told all the residents that they had to leave because they were going to renovate the apartments. Now, when she left, um, she knew what was going to happen. Um, she got kicked out. And even though they invited the residents to come back once the renovations were over, the rents had been increased um, because the apartments had been, uh, you know, marketed and they were being marketed to people um, maybe who had higher incomes. And so she was forced out of this apartment and she wasn't able to actually go back because the rents were too high for someone at her income level to afford. This woman had lived in this neighborhood for a very long time and she wanted to stay in this neighborhood but she was forced to move and to go somewhere else. So many people right in our immediate neighborhood and across our entire nation have very similar stories to tell. 
you probably have noticed, if you spend any time in our community, there's lots of development that continues to happen in our neighborhood. And a lot of this development, I would say probably most of the development, is driven by people who aren't part of our community from the outside, who are coming in and buying up homes and properties and displacing current residents and pricing out people with lower incomes who have lived in this community for many, many years and who want to stay. Years ago, uh, there, there's a whole history to this, and you all probably, many of you know this, but city centers used to be where the money and power were centralized. And over time, the city centers declined, uh, the wealthy moved out, and they built suburbs out away from what they thought were urban problems and urban people. A lot of these folks who moved out were white people. It's been termed uh, white flight, many people moving out of the city centers and setting up suburbs on the outskirts of the city. However, in the past couple of decades, a lot of these wealthy, powerful folks have decided that they want to come back and revitalize the city centers. And so they're coming back to reclaim the land that they gave up long ago by buying up properties and revitalizing urban communities. And this is happening across the nation in every single city. These new developments greatly impact real people in real neighborhoods. The decisions made around this stuff are often made by people who do not live in the communities that are most directly impacted. These decisions are often made by people who don't know anyone who actually lives in these communities where these things are happening. These decisions are often made without consulting the people who live in the affected communities. And in our nation, y'all aren't surprised by this, a lot of folks are fed up by people in power making big decisions without regard for actual lives that are affected. Part of the problem is a lot of people who have the power are so removed from common everyday people that they have no clue what a common person's life is really like. Wendell Berry, who is a Kentucky author and poet, he challenges people to look at a globe and see if you can find your neighborhood on the globe of the world. Now, of course, if you look at a globe, you're not going to be able to locate your neighborhood. The only way you're going to see your neighborhood is if you actually go to your neighborhood and you walk its streets. And he said, if you want to see where you are, you're going to have to get out of your spaceship, out of your car, off your horse, and walk over the ground. I wonder if some of these decisions around development would be different if the folks with the money and power actually walked the streets and got to know people, shared meals in people's homes, heard stories. Maybe they would change their tune slightly. I want to read from John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And this is from the message. Um, I think Eugene Peterson's message that he wrote, it's his own kind of translation and interpretation of Scripture and parts of it are just beautiful, and I think he, he really gets it right in John chapter 1. But he said, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called, This is the one. The one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He has always been ahead of me and has always had the first word. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses, 
and then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has, been, has made him plain his day. I love that the Word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. You know, a fundamental belief of the Christian faith, and I think quite radical, is this, that Christ left his throne above and walked in our neighborhoods, lived among us, met real-life people. We believe as Christians in a radical theology of presence. You could describe the entire Bible like this, God becoming more and more present to his people. God moving closer. First, back in the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, we have this idea of God as Yahweh. And Yahweh is this set-off, far-apart God. But it doesn't take long for God to take a step towards His people. He chooses Abraham to be the father of a great nation and becomes the personal God of Israel. This God who loves and actually interacts and talks with the people. From there, God does something unthinkable. God becomes one of us, relocates, incarnates himself as Jesus Christ. The God of Israel became even more present to his people through Jesus. Jesus walked among us, became a friend of sinners. God was even more present to his people. And finally, before Jesus left, he promised the advocate or the Holy Spirit at the end of Matthew, Jesus said these words, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the book of Acts, at the beginning, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the believers. Now God is close to his people as he could possibly be through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. God taking steps towards his people. This theology of presence is at the core of Christian theology. And I believe we are called to be imitators of God. This is talked about in Paul's letters. This is a concept that's rich in the New Testament, that we are called to be like God. And we do this by following after the example of Jesus. And in Eugene Peterson's version of John 1, he says that Jesus has made God plain as day. We've not seen God, but we've seen Jesus. And because we've seen Jesus, we know what God is like. So if God's desire is to be present and among the people, then I believe as God's people, our job is also to have a faithful presence among the people that we are called to love. Now, this shouldn't be a stretch for us to think about because the Scriptures teach us that the church is in fact the body of Christ. That the church is Christ's presence within actual communities. We have the opportunity to be the presence of Jesus in our neighborhood just by being the church that Christ has called us to be. You know, the very first Christians modeled their churches after the synagogues because the first churches were made up primarily of Jews, and it was after that they began to reach out to Gentiles. But they modeled their churches after synagogues, and they set up churches in actual neighborhoods with the goal of reaching those neighborhoods with the gospel. 
The churches weren't based so much on worship style or ethnic groups or cultural practices or socioeconomic status. They were more or less geographically based in actual neighborhoods. They reflected their communities. That's why they were so messy, because they were diverse. They had people from those communities all coming together. We talked about this when we looked at our, the book of Romans, that the book of Romans was written to house churches in Rome, and it was in these neighborhoods all throughout Rome, small churches that met in homes with people who lived nearby. You can see in Paul's letters that he wrote churches to specific places, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Ephesus and Philippi, and so on. The place mattered. The place where they had their church was important. However, in our world today, we know place is not all that important to us anymore. We seek to live above place. We don't really know our neighbors. You know, we, we've moved our porches to the back, you know, so we got privacy fences so we don't even have to see our neighbors out and about. Many folks travel great distances to go to church with people who are like them, people they are comfortable with. We buy food and we have no idea where our food actually comes from. Neighborhoods are often just a blip on the map. And in a sense, we are seeking to live above place with little regard for the actual communities around us. And I don't think this has helped us very much. People are lonelier than ever. We're struggling to find friendships. We're dealing with brokenness in our families and other relationships. And we need communities of people that can, we can rely on. And I think about Embrace. We are in an actual neighborhood. We're right here on North Limestone, Castlewood's over there, East End's down here. We are in an actual neighborhood. And we have the opportunity to help foster community, connect people to each other, and unify diverse neighbors around the common good. I believe our church is called to have a faithful presence in our neighborhood. You know, our website uh, URL is embraceyourcity.com. Now, I certainly want to embrace our whole city. That's a noble goal, right? But I don't believe we actually can embrace our entire city and reach our entire city because we can't be present in every single part of our city. That's why we need good churches all over the city, right? I believe God has us here on North Limestone for a reason, to work with our neighbors, to see our community live into its God-given potential, to see people in our community come to know the saving love of Jesus and find a place to belong in the family of God. I want our church to be church but also community center, a place where people know they can come and feel like they can be here. And we've been living into this idea for a long time now. Our sixth value is that we're neighborhood-focused. We care about our world. We, we send missionaries out to faraway places. Some of them are actually here this morning from, who are serving in Honduras. But we recognize that the best ministry happens person to person in real friendships between people of different walks of life. And this, best, this, be, this type of community, I think, best happens in neighborhoods. I remember years ago when Laura and I moved into this neighborhood, um, I remember going out for a walk, and we walked around the park, and we literally saw over 20 people that we knew on our walk. And, and ministry happened from that experience. I remember we got called into somebody's home because their teenager was having a complete meltdown, and they're like, you need to come in here and deal with him. And I'm like, I'm just out for a walk, what, you know? Uh, but we were able to go into their home and, and talk with them and calm things down a bit and kind of be a loving presence and peaceful presence in their home. 
But it was a beautiful thing. We talked about life with people. We shared our problems. We were able to help with that small crisis. And I remember feeling so blessed that we knew people who lived near us and they knew us. And as I think about Embrace, we're not a church only of people from this neighborhood, and I think that's okay. Um, some of us live here in the neighborhood, and I think that's a really good way to build friendships with people, living among them. However, if you don't live in this neighborhood, I really encourage you to think about how you could intentionally figure out some ways to get to know folks in this community. Because our church, in order for us to be the best church we can be, we're going to need to understand our neighborhood, know the folks in our community. We have longtime residents of our neighborhood right here in our church who can help us better understand how we can reach out and be a faithful presence right here on North Limestone. I encourage you to think about how you can even think about your own neighborhood and how you can spend time with your neighbors where you live. Because those friendships that we form will change us. Those friendships will affect the way we think about things. My views on a lot of stuff, people who have known me for the last like 15, 16 years at this church and be like, John, you've changed over the years, you know. Some people say that in a good way, some not so good way. Um, but the deal is, of course, I've changed because those relationships I've formed in our community have impacted me. They've impacted how I think about politics. They've impacted how I think about things like the city's plans for development, right, about the economy. These things have changed my heart, and they've helped me to become more like Jesus, I believe. We have to be present with our people. I believe there is power in proximity. At Embrace, we take this, I think, very seriously. One of the primary ways that we reach into our community is through our partnership with Common Good. I was counting up all the rooms. We donate, I think, around 16 rooms in our building to Common Good. We got a big church. That's a lot of rooms. We still got space. It's amazing. But we donate like 16 rooms in our building to Common Good, this nonprofit that my wife and I started 12 years ago, focusing on Christian community development work in our neighborhood. This started years ago when we were doing youth ministry here through living and working in our neighborhood. For many years, we met real people with real needs and real dreams and real passions. And we noticed that the youth group of our kids in our community was growing but kids were also struggling in other areas of their life, and most notably in education. And so Common Good originally started with this goal of, of providing more support for education, healthy space for recreation, leadership development, and, and help them be formed spiritually as well. And so we started with about 30 students and their families with the goal of working together um, to make an impact in our community and to see this neighborhood thrive. Common Good is Embrace's main ministry partner in our neighborhood. We now have over 70 students in our programs from over 35 different families. While we do many things uh, in our neighborhood and for our neighborhood, I want you to have a practical kind of real-life example of how we're living into this value of being neighborhood-focused. And so I'm going to show a, a video for you all, and it's a, it's a really awesome video, and it's, um, it's basically all about common good. And so if you were part of their fundraiser this past week, you've already seen it, so you get to see it again. Um, but we're going to watch this video, and then I'm just going to say a few words after it's over. Get all your wiggles out. Get all your wiggles out. Yep. Good. To me, Common Good is a place of belonging. To me, Common Good is a place I can call home. And a place of acceptance. Because when I come here, I feel like I can be myself. I belong. And I'm known and loved. Hello. 
Part of the philosophy of common good is long-term commitment. It really sends the message that we're in it together because that's how common good works. We're like a team. And we can get through almost anything if we've got people to, to walk with us through it. Common good is about the whole person, the whole family, and the whole neighborhood. Our neighborhood here in North Lexington, Castlewood, East End, North Limestone community, our young people are smart, they're talented, they're creative, they have dreams for their lives. And so Common Good really was born out of a desire to create opportunity for those young people and those families that we met to flourish. So over the years, we've learned how to create space for people to dream. The mission of Common Good really is about belonging. It's about creating just a space here in our community for people to connect better to themselves and to others and to God. And that's what we're doing at Common Good. We're walking alongside people and we don't give up when things get hard. And I think that is essential to the fruit of our work and the fruit of our ministry. Who Common Good is, people can feel it when they're a part of it. And it's more than just feeling welcome. It's really being seen. The staff that we have are all really passionate about our mission. I mean, that kind of just flows to our mentors and then to our students and then to their families. I believe in the mission because I see it. Even when I come here just to pick up my child and they know my name and I'm like, how in the world do you know my name? Oh, they know their name too. Oh, and their name too, like really? The after school and summer programs create the space for kids to receive mentorship and tutoring, a meal, positive relationships with adults, and also time to hang out with their peers. And then once they get into the youth program, it's a lot more mentoring. And I think the mentors are a really important component. The mentors do feel like they're my best friends. It feels like I'm just going on adventures with them. The things that they have gone through, I have gone through, and so it's just kind of Really great to be somebody that I would have liked to have had in my life. We're walking alongside them to make sure that they have individual support as they navigate their lives, but also that they are connected to each other because that can be a really isolating time. The friends that I made 10 years ago, like BN, I came here second grade, I didn't really know him, now we're going to college together. It's like you're making lifelong connections I think Common Good just gave me everything in one place. Once they reach 12th grade, they can join Mission Transition, which is a program where they can learn about scholarships, and we help them research different schools that they might be interested in. That way, whenever they do get ready to go to college, they have um, everything they need. And this year, we had like $70,000 of scholarships to give to our students. It is such an important way that we can um, not only just tell students, we believe in you, you can do this, but invest in them. In 10 years, Common Good has had the ability to watch a lot of kids grow up, and we wanted to be part of their continual development, and part of that commitment is workplace development. Matchstick Goods is a social enterprise, so we exist to create ceramics, but also hire and mentor folks from our neighborhood. We give them the space to be creative and to work hands-on and give them the experience of what a job is like. The 
So one of my favorite weekends this year was going to the Red River Gorge with some of our graduates. And we got a big cabin and we got to go hiking and hang out and kayak and just spend time with one another reconnecting. You know, when you can have a lot of fun and cut up, but also have a lot more deep and, and meaningful conversation and have really focused time together, um, it just really forms community. So I think students walked away from that weekend knowing that they were deeply cared about and that they belong at Common Good. Common Good has become a second family to so many, and so it felt right uh, when we got to our 10-year anniversary that we needed to have a party and celebrate together. We want sisters and brothers and moms and dads and the whole family to be there to say, look what you've done. Look what we've done together. Look what we've accomplished as a community because this is their accomplishment um, as much as it is anyone else's. I think what I have loved the most is to see what started as an after-school program grow to how can we continue to be a part of their lives over many years. When Common Good talks about whole families and whole communities, I think that is what that really means. Dreaming is not an isolated activity at Common Good. It's a shared community endeavor. And we've seen that when you dream together faithfully, that beautiful things happen. I can succeed in life because of Common Good. And like, I can't really give that back to them. I don't know how to yet, but like, from the bottom of my heart, definitely thank you very much. It's hard to calculate um, the growth that I have experienced over the last 15 years. I have just really kind of transformed through the opportunity to be a part of this neighborhood. The message that we hope to send to families, to students, to graduates, is that you are welcome, that you are valued and known for who you are, and you are accepted just as you are. I think we, we need people who think on the big scale and look at stats and numbers and trends. We need planners and policymakers and geographers and sociologists. But the big picture can't be separated from what happens in the real lives of people in actual neighborhoods. And that's why we prioritize friendships with real people in our neighborhood. I'll remind you what Mother Teresa said. She said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. If you want to save the world from violence and hate and greed, poverty, destruction, then Wendell Berry suggests you need to be like Dorothy Day, who's the pioneer of the Catholic worker movement, a person willing to go down and down into the daunting, humbling, and sometimes hopeless local presence of the problem to face the great problem one small life at a time. These big concepts of love and peace and justice and goodness and hope and compassion and mercy, they're beautiful, but they don't mean a lot unless they're lived out in our actual day-to-day -day lives, in the places in which we live and where we work and where we go to church together. So I encourage you all to uh, think about um, how God might be calling you to, to build those friendships and to connect with people near you, to connect with folks right here in our own community. 
And uh, Common Good's a great way to get involved in our neighborhood. Our ministry on Monday night is another great way to connect with folks from our neighborhood. And, and what you'll find is, is you're going to learn and you're going to be changed by those relationships. And you're going to become uh, more the person that God has called you to be. And my, my vision for Embrace is similar to, to Common Good's, that we want this to be a safe space um, for our community to know love. That we want everybody who comes through these doors to be known that, hey, you're welcome here for who you are. And we're going to love you. And so uh, my hope is we can continue to live into that vision. So thank you all for leaning into this series on our values over the last few weeks. And hopefully you come away from it feeling like you understand Embrace just a little bit more. Um, last week you saw that Laura Necci joined Embrace, um, became a member. If anybody else is interested in joining the church, um, maybe you've heard, you've been thinking about it, you've been coming for a while and you've not really made it official um, that you want to kind of put down roots here and be a part of this community, then I would love to talk with you about that. So please, please reach out and let us know. If you have any interest in joining the church, it'd be nice to have a big crew to do it all together. Um, but I'd love to answer any of your questions or talk with you more about Embrace anytime that you want. So uh, it's a beautiful place, and I, really, I, I truly believe that God is doing something here because I know that my life is being changed through being a part of this church, and I know that many of your all's is as well. And ultimately at Embrace, you know, every week we want people to come and all of you to come and experience Jesus. 